first of the kingdom. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to it. We're going to read two passages from that chapter. I'm not going to cover everything that's in there, but maybe something that you feel, oh, you didn't talk about that, and maybe that's something that you can think about later on yourself. So here we go, chapter 9, starting at verse 18 through to verse 27. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose or forfeit the very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now I want to move on to verse 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes of dens and birds of nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So I want to show you some pictures of well-known people. I've chosen them for a particular reason, which I'll explain in a minute. You may well recognize some of them. No spoilers, by the way, for those who are here at 9.30. Just telling you. Okay, first one, please. Who's that? Yes, Mahatma Gandhi. Thank you. Next. Yeah, Hitler. Next, please. Yeah, Martin Luther King Jr. This stumped the 9.30 meeting, by the way. Well, I deliberately made this slightly difficult. I chose a photo of a woman. Yeah, she was described as the most powerful woman in the world. It's Angela Merkel in the days of her youth. Chancellor of Germany, or was. Next, please. Do we have a whisper there? It's Lenin, not John, but Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Next. Yeah, it's Nicola Sturgeon. Now, um, yeah, so Gandhi, of course, wanted independence for India. Hitler wanted to make Germany invincible. 
Martin Luther King wanted an end to racism. Angela Merkel wanted to make the European Union strong. Lenin wanted to overthrow the Tsar in Russia and set up a new political system. And Nicola Sturgeon wants independence for Scotland. You know, they've set before people a vision of what they see as a better future. The point is that they have all had or have their followers, people who bought into their vision, saying, in effect, I will support you, your cause. Now, people follow all sorts of things these days, football teams, television soaps, Netflix series, newspaper viewpoints, YouTube stars, Twitter feeds, Instagram posts, local weather forecasts on Facebook. When we think about it, we're probably all followers of someone or something, even if it's following my own opinions or my own desires. And as I was mulling over this gospel passage, I just read a few things struck me. And one of them was this. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Now, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or whether you're seeking, the same word applies. And I've been a Christian probably longer for most of you than most of you in this room. But Jesus says to me and you, follow me. In order to follow, someone has to lead. The people in the slides I just showed you were all leaders of one sort or another, not all good, of course. I recently read a book by a Nepalese mountain climber, and he had a desire to climb the 14 highest mountains in the world, ones which are over 8,000 meters high, into what the mountaineers call the death zone. Now, he wanted to do it in record time because it had been done before. Someone had done it, and they had taken seven years. He wanted to do it in seven months, a seemingly impossible task. But he was determined and not only led the expeditions, but also led the way up the mountains. And his leadership inspired people to follow him. And they did. More importantly, of course, Jesus says to you and me, follow me. It doesn't matter where you are in life's journey. Jesus says, follow me. What does that mean? Well, it's interesting as you read the Bible, for example, in the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Revelation, where both Ezekiel and his book and the Apostle John are given a scroll to read. And what do they do? Well, they're told to do with the scroll. They're told to eat the scroll. That's puzzled me. I think, well, why have they been told to eat the scroll? I wonder if you've ever wondered why. Well, I think it's for this reason, that when you eat something, it becomes part of you. And following Jesus means that the words he speaks become part of your everyday life. After all, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, with natural food, what do we do? We chew it. We swallow it. It gets into our digestive system and gets absorbed into the body and gives us energy for living. So with God's word, we need to get it into us. We need to accept them. We need to chew them over. We need to let them guide our thinking and our actions. For example, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, treat people kindly. Value them, regardless of their race, their gender, their social status, their education, and so on. Of course, Jesus goes further than that. He says, love your enemies. You see, as we chew that word over, certainly as I do, I think, well, I can't do that. 
I can just about manage to love the reasonably decent people. But as for my enemies, well, that's a completely different story. When Joy and I, my wife, first got married, we lived in an end terrace house. And the third set of neighbors that we had, it was slightly difficult. They would play loud music late at night when they got back from the pub. So the music would start at about 11 o'clock at night, waking us up if we weren't already awake. And sometimes you would go to bed with a bit of trepidation, feeling a bit jittery, thinking, is that music going to start up again? And often it would. And I remember on one occasion, I went round to the neighbor's house next door, knocked on the door. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Music was still going. And I said to him, please, could you turn the music down? Well, I was greeted by a very unfriendly Response, and I had the door shut in my face. So I thought this, how can I get my own back on him? Maybe I could play loud music except early in the morning. Maybe when they fall asleep, I could play loud music and wake them up. Or maybe when they fall asleep, I could knock on their door loudly in order to get them up. I had some further devious thoughts, but I'm, you're too nice a congregation for me to share them with you. But I felt that wasn't quite the response that the Lord would like from me. So what I decided to do was I would lay hands on the wall that adjoined our houses. So that's what I did. I laid hands on the wall and prayed blessing on that person. And I thought, well, let's just leave that person to the Lord now and see what happens. And, uh, but the point was this. I did that almost with gritted teeth as well. And I really had to call on the Lord's help to do it. And that's the point, I guess, to follow Jesus we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to really chew on God's words so that they become part of our everyday life, not just for Sunday. Follow me, Jesus says. I wonder if you are facing a tricky or even very difficult situation in your life. Follow me, Jesus says. And Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit to get alongside us to help us. Can I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit right now? In fact, what I'd like to do is I'd love to pray for you right now. Perhaps you're facing a, a tricky or difficult situation in your life right now. And the words of Jesus, well, follow me. Follow me through it. I'd ask you just to stretch out your hands and I'd like to pray for you right now, sitting where you are, if you're facing a difficult or tricky, tricky situation. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you're with us. In the storm, you don't go to sleep. Thank you, you neither slumber nor sleep. Thank you that you love us in our difficult situation. I pray for those who are going through a difficult situation. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give them help, support from the sanctuary, from your divine presence, Lord, that you would strengthen them in their innermost being and guide them through this difficult situation that they're going through. And I pray for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's see what the Lord will do. Follow me, Jesus says. I want to ask you a question. Who are you following? See, Jesus was very good at asking questions. He was very good. He asked incisive questions. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, who do you think was neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? The man who was lowered down through the roof and Jesus healed him. Jesus said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? 
the disciples in the boat in the storm and they woke him up. Jesus said, where's your faith? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus asked them. John's baptism is it from heaven or of human origin and so on. But the biggest question he asked, in my opinion, was the one in the verses I read. In verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Now, this is what I would call a general question. And with this question, Jesus, he's not looking for a personal answer here. He's looking for a general answer as to what the people think. But then Jesus personalizes the question to his disciple. And he personalizes that question to you and me. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Now this is a key question. I think this is the key question in the whole of the Bible. Who do you say I am? It may seem like a small key, but I'll tell you what, it opens a big door. And people have died as a result of answering that question correctly, physically being killed when they've answered that question correctly. You see, most of the world is prepared to concede that Jesus was a great religious teacher. People generally don't have a problem with that. Islam would say that Jesus was a major prophet. Buddhism would say that Jesus was a great guru. In fact, a bodhisattva, an enlightened being. Hinduism would say that Jesus was a deva, a very important spiritual being. But Jesus does not allow for any of those, not simply a prophet or great spiritual teacher of one form or another, Peter replies to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. In his gospel, Matthew gives us a bit more detail to this episode. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The Messiah, the Savior, the one anointed by God to set people free. The one anointed by God to bring about a new age. Who do you say I am? I can remember as a young man, I was confronted with that question myself. Because I thought, yeah, I recognize Jesus was a great religious teacher. He'd probably be foolish to deny that. I recognize that he was one of the great ones. I kind of, that was obvious to me. But I didn't actually know the reality of who he is. And I was faced with that question, who do you say I am? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. For me personally, it was realizing who Jesus is that began the transformation in my life. That truth hit me like a light being suddenly switched on in a dark room. You see, if we're going to follow someone, if we're going to give our lives over to someone, if we're going to take up our cross daily, it had better be for someone worthy of us doing that. And Jesus certainly is. Jesus, the one who hung on the cross, willingly gave his lifeblood so that you and me could have our sins forgiven and the way to God opened so we can be welcomed into his family. Follow me, Jesus says. Who are you following? 
To follow, the good news is this, you have to die. I mentioned earlier that some have died as a result of answering Jesus' question. But the truth is we all have to die to answer that question. In my case, I had to die to what I thought. I had to die to my thinking about Jesus and life in general. And I had to die to that when I knew that who Jesus really is. I had to die to the direction my life was going in and change direction. I had to die to being liked. As all my friends and family, they thought I'd gone bonkers. It came as a big shock to me that when I told them the good news about who Jesus is and thought that they would respond enthusiastically, none of them did, by and large. They thought I'd lost my mind, and they didn't get it. Verse 23 and 24, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And these are very challenging words. Everyone at that time would have understood that to take up your cross meant that you were going to a place of death. What Jesus says here is completely, utterly, astronomically countercultural. It's counterintuitive. In other words, to really live, you have to die. Whereas naturally, we think the opposite. To really live, you have to go out and get things. You have to go out and make it happen. You have to fulfill your bucket list, whatever that might be. The 20 things that you want to do before you die. I want to see the Taj Mahal. I want to skydive. I want to swim in the Great Barrier Reef. Jesus says, in order to live, you have to die. The world says you have to go out and get the best experiences, the best opportunities you can. That's what the world says. Go and get the best of everything. You have to have that. The best food, the best restaurants, the best hotels, the best clothes, the best technology. You must have the best in order to really live. Jesus says no. And I'm not dismissing having any of those things. Jesus says, if you really want to live, if you really want to experience life in all its fullness, you have to die. Let me say that again. You have to die. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. The natural mind says, no, no, no. You do the opposite. You must fulfill yourself. That's the big message of the world. To your own self be true. Go out and get. Go out and really live. Jesus says, no, you die. You die if you really want to live. What good is it, verse 25, to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit the very self? To be a Christian, a follower of Christ, you have to die. Not only that, but you have to die daily. Furthermore, if you want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring, this is how you do it. You die to self. You die to self-absorption. You die to making your wishes paramount. 
what do you do? You seek to understand what is pleasing to the Lord and you do it. You seek to let God's word become part of your everyday life just as food does so that it affects your thoughts and your actions. Now, it's important to say that God is not a killjoy. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Furthermore, in Psalm 34, it says this, verse 4, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of us want the desires of our heart fulfilled? How many of us want to experience life in all its fullness? Jesus says to do that, you have to die. You have to die. But there's a resurrection, of course. And it's not simply about the big decisions of life, like where shall I live, for example. Well, I want to live on the Costa del Sol and enjoy the sunshine. But God tells me to live in Wickham. Oh dear, I have to take up my cross on this one and deny myself. Or I want to work in investments. Now as I've studied that and I can earn big money there in the city. But the Lord has told me to work for that charity where the salary isn't so good. I have to take up my cross. I want to get married and have children. But God tells me to, uh, to be a missionary in the 1040 window, that most gospel unreached part of the world. I have to take up my cross. I'll have to die to my desires. I will have to take up my cross and follow Jesus saying, not my will but thine be done. Now those things may be true, but more often it is the everyday things of life that we all live where we have to die to self and find the life that Jesus is talking about. Now I'm not pretending this is easy. It's not. That's why we need the power of the Spirit to help us. Here is one thing that I find challenging personally where I have to die to self. And it keeps coming back to me. I feel the Lord is, keeps bringing it back to me regularly, regularly, regularly. It's from Philippians verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's that last part. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is where I have to die to self. This is where I personally have to take up my cross at times. Not a big cross, perhaps, but nevertheless, I have to die to self. Sometimes, when speaking with people, what they are talking about may not be quite as interesting to me as it is to them. But it's not about me. My response is to try to listen and value what they're talking about. It's not always easy. For me, it may be as simple as giving someone my undivided attention. I'm busy, I've got things to do, I've got other things in my mind, and you're talking to me. I could easily say, I'm ever so sorry, I'm too busy to listen to you, off I go. I don't feel that's right, personally. I have to deny myself and give them my undivided attention. Take up your cross daily, Jesus says, and follow me. To put others before yourself is part of what it means to take up your cross. All too often I find I want what I want and so need God's help 
to see that the way to life is to do things he says and his way. In the, the latter portion of scripture that I read from verse 13, 59, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not saying disrespect your parents. But he, what he is saying is that if you want to follow him, you must give it the priority of your life. It's not a Sunday hobby. It's not a nice feel-good add-on to get you through the week. Furthermore, in verses 61 and 62, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, these are amazingly challenging words, aren't they? In effect, Jesus is saying, I want your wholeheartedness. I don't want half-heartedness. I want you to be wholehearted in following me. I want you to be persistent. I don't want you to go back to the old ways, but I want you to learn from me. I don't want the past to rule you or tempt you back. The good news, of course, is that God does something new in our hearts when we give our lives to him. You must be born again. Jesus says, we must have a new power, a new influence in our lives in order to fulfill this message that Jesus gives, which seems really tough. Take up your cross. Yeah, I could maybe do it now and again. No, daily, daily. So when we are born again and the Spirit of God comes into our lives, something radical happens. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them in their minds, the Bible says. So in other words, it won't be alien to eat God's words. It won't be alien to want to do the things that please him. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is where? Your law is within my heart. So when we are born again, something transformative happens deep within us that we work out. And part of that is to die to self in order to have the life in all its fullness that Jesus promises that we will have. Who or what are you following? Who is the guiding light in your life? Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? Not simply a great spiritual leader, but the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Are you eating God's words? Getting them into your life in such a way they become part of the outworking of our everyday life. There's a great opportunity to do that in the Bible readings that John was talking about earlier. To live, you have to die. To die to selfishness, to die to self-centeredness. It's not easy, but we have to do it. So we ask God for help today. Ask him to make you a blessing to whoever you meet because you never know the impact you may have on someone's life. The cost of the kingdom, of course, is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So unashamedly, follow me, Jesus says. Amen.